So Obadiah went to tell Ahab <clears throat> that Elijah had come. And Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When Abraham met him, he exclaimed, Saul, is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Ashtoreth, who is supported by Jezebel. <clears throat> so Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is your God, follow him. But if Baal is your God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left. <clears throat> but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on them, then call on the name of your God, and I will call the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, God. Amen. Thank you, Marcia. Nailed it. <laughs> That's so great because I'm, I'm over here and I'm, I'm going to be kind of going through this and I'm like, oh, the voices are so good. <laughs> the voices are so good. Well, good morning. Uh, if, if you were joining us uh, just now, we have spent... The last uh, three weeks preparing for today in that Elijah's showdown with Ahab and the prophets of Baal. So we've seen in the last weeks um, this evidence of God. And really when we go into any story anywhere in scripture, we're looking for a couple of things. But one of the primary things we're looking for is what does this show me or teach me about who God is? How he works how he moves. And we've gone into these details of Elijah's own story and seen, whew, like there's more in that than just go camp out by a creek or just go stay with a widow for a little bit. That God is, like there's a process he's been doing not only in the nation of Israel, but in Elijah. And so as we read through this showdown that is taking place, that is building up, uh, I'm going to try to condense it as much as possible, but we are once again going to step into this thing because this is a story. There's multiple parts of scripture that don't feel like a story. If you've ever hung out in Leviticus for very long, it doesn't, there's not a lot of narrative, right? <laughs> um, a lot of begats and things like that. But this is a story. And we love stories. I don't even need to ask you if you love stories. I know you love stories. Whether it's movies or music or books or plays, we love stories. Why? Because we identify 
with characters in the story. And we've been doing the exact same thing here. We've been identifying with Elijah. We identify with the nation of Israel. We identify with things, with the widow, or like we identify with these characters. And as we see them walk through a process, we see God's heart move and shape and show up faithfully. So we're going to continue to do that today. But here's the risky part when you get to this part of the story. We all want to be Elijah. There's a part of all of us that would love to tell somebody who's clearly doing wrong just how wrong they are. (laughs) So my challenge for us this morning, don't just go into what is happening in in the the kind of the graphic explosion, uh, you know, would take some CGI multi-effects to reproduce if we were going to watch a movie of this, right? That, that kind of draws you in, but we're going to break down a little bit more of that. So, if you would, let's go into 1 Kings 18, starting in chapter 17. And we start right off the top, and now I have to use a voice because Marsha did. <laughs> I'm so excited about it. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, So it is really you, you troublemaker of Israel. I feel like Ahab has a real gravelly voice. And Elijah responds, I have made no trouble for Israel. You and your family are the troublemakers. For you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the image of Baal. And then he moves on. And then he moves on. Two verses here, and we already see a characteristic where we can identify with Elijah a little bit, and this challenged me. Because I have to ask myself the question. If you haven't noticed, this is what I do. I always bring a question from a a particular verse of Scripture, and this is the question. Am I willing to have kingdoms of this earth label me as the problem? Or can I hold to to truth and righteousness in a world that disregards truth? Harder and harder. I'm 39. Most uh, everyone in this room, y'all have been doing this longer than I have. Y'all are pros. And and at 39, but I'm telling you, at, at 20 I felt this. And at 25, every season of life, this is the question. Am I okay with people saying that I'm the problem or that God is the problem? And it becomes more and more difficult to do that and to do it with love. And we see the result of that in our world today. Have I built, have I built my life, because here's the other piece, have I built my life so that I don't have to interact with people who view me as the problem? Because that's not, that's not biblical either. We're called to go into the world to be light and love, even when the world says, you're the problem. Welcome to Elijah's story. Yay, tension. <laughs> I grew up in a bubble. My brother is here. The bubble was firm. And I'm, I used to give my parents a lot of grief about it. I will, never, I will not give them grief anymore. But they would even admit, hi mom and dad, they would admit that we grew up in a bubble. 
separated from anyone who would say, hey, you're the problem and the God you serve is the problem. And I had to develop this thing quickly in my early 20s and it didn't develop well. And it really wasn't until 10 years ago that I began to say, am I okay with people saying that I'm the problem and that God I serve is the problem? And to respond to that in love. There's a New Testament passage for this because Jesus spoke directly to it. So we're going to look at Matthew 5, verse 11. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad. For great for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. <laughs> Elijah's persecution is this, like we have a direct connection on either side of the cross and either side of the life of Jesus in both covenants that the world will reject you when Jesus is your Lord. And we have very specific instructions that we are to be very happy about it. Be very glad. So the question that came for me out of this is, how can I be happy when people mock and persecute and lie about me? And we, again, our culture historically has been a safe place for believers to operate. And it is no longer what it was. I don't know what it is, and it's all, the Lord's in charge of all of it. I'm not worried about any of that. But the day, some of those days are gone, and we're in a, new, in a new season, right? And so we have to be able to accept this part of the scripture when it's not easy to accept this part of the scripture. So how can I be happy about persecution when people say that I'm the problem? And I think it comes down to this. Where's my identity rooted? And when I say identity, I mean value, purpose, and design. Where do you derive your value, your purpose, and your design from? And I would land on this. I can find joy in my earthly persecution when my identity is more rooted in the cross and less rooted in culture. And you want to know a good test? Just think back this week, where were you offended? Because we have specific instruction to be happy, to be very glad, not to be offended. Where I get offended is where I'm, I'm, I'm rooted in, in some sort of identity, purpose, or design is rooted in needing you to affirm, the world to affirm, the interaction with people to affirm, to, to not be called the problem. I'm not the problem. Don't talk. So where I'm offended is the exact place that I need to be more firmly rooted in the cross. That's a hard one. Because when I'm offended, the last thing I want to admit is that I have something that I need to look at. So, where were you offended? We can just stop there. Because I get offended daily. I mean, it's just... It just, it just does. But my offense is mine. 
I serve a God who is light and love. He wasn't, like, he was more offended by religious hypocrisy than he was by sin. And yet I'm more offended by sin than much anything else. Y'all with me? Yes. All right, here we go. Second, second little uh, uh, thought that popped out of this. And we haven't even gotten to the, to the showdown yet, right? So 1 Kings 18, starting in verse 19. Now summon all Israel to join me on Mount Carmel along with the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah and who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver? Hobbling between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were what? Completely silent. I'm going to paint the picture. We waited all these years, three-year drought. All this has taken place in Elijah. Like, every, like the sin is rampant in the nation of Israel. Elijah, God finally gives Elijah the green light, and he goes to Ahab, and Ahab says, you're the problem, I'm not the problem, blah, blah, blah. We have and he immediately says, call the people in. So he calls the people in. We have Ahab, prophets of Baal and Asherah, people of Israel. Who does Elijah talk to? The people of Israel. Everybody's gathered. And his challenge was to Israel. And I'm sorry, that doesn't line up with the way I operate. Was Ahab king? Yes. Was Ahab guilty of leading the nation of Israel into sin? Yes. But did, did God send Elijah to, te to teach Ahab a lesson? No. Can't miss it. If you read these verses and start thinking of ourselves as modern day Elijah's, then we have to follow the pattern that he followed. Go through the trial and the, and, and the process that he went through, and then when he finally gets the chance, and it's, a, I mean, like, finally, he disregards the authority, he disregards the, the opposition, the, the opposite of him, which are the prophets of Baal, and he goes directly to people and he says, today's the day. Because all this is showing us something about God. It wasn't about Ahab. It wasn't about the prophets of Baal. It was about the people, the nation of Israel. God wanted to be restored back to his people. And yet, if I'm honest, I'm wanting to go after the Ahabs and the prophets of Baal. I think that's how Change takes place. I'm not saying they're not important. I'm not saying God wasn't doing, like, we'll see that in a little bit. But right off the top, Elijah says, this is about the people. So let's go into Romans 12, 2 through 5, because we're going to see a little something on this side of, of uh, the, the, in the new covenant that, that we're he hearing from Paul. And he says, no, God has not rejected his own people. 
whom he chose from the very beginning. Do you realize what scripture says about this? Here we go. We're going to talk directly to Elijah. The prophet complained about God, complained to God about the people of Israel and said, Lord, they have killed your prophets, have torn down your altars. I'm the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. We're going to talk about that next week. So, but it connects here as well. And do you remember God's reply? He said, no, I have 7,000 others who have never bowed down to Baal. It is the same today. It is the same today. It is the same today. Elijah says, everybody's given up on you. And God says, no. So you go and you tell the people, today is the day. No longer two opinions. For if... For a few of the people of Israel have remained faithful because of God's grace and undeserved kindness in choosing them. Humans tend to focus on whoever is in a position of authority to, to enact change, but God is 100% focused on redeeming people. I'm raising my hand first, you guys. I get on social media. I listen to podcasts and I hear people in positions of authority. I turn on the news. I hear people in positions of authority saying things that I'm like, no, and I want to go speak truth. I was like, I want to go Elijah. You know, I want to like, let's do it. And yet the other 99.99999% of my life, I walk around and there's people. And God's saying, Where's the passion to go and, and, and get that one? Where's the passion, the same passion that you have to go and set this right? Well, I want to set them right. I want to show them my love. I want to show them my truth. I want to show them that this thing is real, that I am God. There is one. No more room for two opinions. And I'm over here going, yeah, but the governor... Or the school board. Again, not saying that those aren't important. We have plenty of verses about how God is interested in leaders and how we are supposed to respond to our leaders. I'm saying we have a very clear picture of who God's more focused on. And it's people. And I, I'm just going to say this, and uh, I think I do this every week, and I need to stop apologizing. We're entering an election year. So hear me very clearly. This is what I'm saying. God is more concerned about people than he is about who's going to be elected in the next cycle. He's more concerned about people than he is about the president. And if we are followers, then we replicate that. We take part in it, we vote, we follow, we, we align ourselves to authority. But in my day in, day out, my focus is people. And I'll tell you, again, I'm raising my hand, I get way more focused on who's gonna be the next president or the next governor or the next this or the next that and who's, who's leading culturally and, and God's saying, no, you've got, I sent you four people today that I wanted you just to say, hey, God loves you. And he's good with you. But you skip that because I want to go over here. Go with me? Cool. Lost my pages here. 
All right, let's get down to the meat of this thing. So Elijah, the stage is set. Prophets of Baal for hours and hours and hours try to summon Baal and petition and to, to light the altar and nothing happens and it gets real gruesome. And then Elijah steps in after some pretty good uh, trash talk. Uh, he, uh, we, just for time, I had to skip over it, but it's one of my mother-in-law's favorite verses where uh, Elijah says, Where's, where is he? Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's in the restroom. Uh, I mean, literally, this just classic Elijah trash talk. And so when it comes time, Elijah steps forward and, and he begins to, to, to rebuild an altar puts 12 stones for the 12 tribes of Israel. He digs a trench around the altar. He puts piles of wood on the altar. He calls forward for, um, for the, the ox to be, to be quartered according to, the, to the, the Jewish tradition. And then when I grew up thinking that he had all this water from the Mediterranean Sea dumped on it just as proof, and I think that was part of it too. But uh, one, of the, one of the highest salinities of any body of water is the Mediterranean Sea. And if, if you follow the, the practice that the nation of Israel had followed, you did not give an offering without salt. So not only is he dumping water on this thing, saying, look, at like, like I'm, I'm going I'm to stack the deck against myself. But he's also the nation of Israel sitting there, and they're watching Elijah perform a sacrifice the way that they had been taught to do so. Reminded about what each step meant, what each stone meant, what the salt meant. They knew it. And Elijah was, I mean, he was there and he was, and he was walking out those steps. And then we pick up in verse 36 of chapter 18. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice. Man, that's good. This was, this was God saying, I was and I am. Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O oh Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. This miracle wasn't given to end Ahab's reign as king because, spoiler alert, it didn't. This miracle wasn't given to establish Elijah's prophetic ministry because that had already been established. This miracle wasn't given to one-up the prophets of Baal, even though it did. This miracle 
where God consumed every last atom of that sacrifice was given to show the people of Israel that God is God and he is drawing them back to himself. Verse 37, O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. If I want to be Elijah, that is the cry of my heart. I can't identify with, with the, the guy standing up and, and swooping in unless I identify with this piece as well. Because Elijah was crystal clear. God's about to do something and prove himself. And it ain't about the prophets of Baal and it ain't about Ahab. It's about his people. And the, the challenge is, is, is I can't take old covenant thinking into new covenant reality. Well, I'll explain it this way, and, and we'll go to Matthew 5, verse 12. Sorry, chapter 12, verse 38. One, of the, one, one day, some teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. But Jesus replied, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Does God still do miracles? Yes. Does he still move and show himself more glorious and, and mighty and without comparison? Yes. But if I'm honest, I have to say that I often demand some kind of sign of Jesus' authority instead of looking at this truth that he said, here's the sign I will give you. I'm, I'm predicting my own death. And I'm saying in three days I'm going to come back, conquering death, hell, and the grave. We have the final sacrifice. We have the final word. It has already been given. Again, I, I've said it a couple times. What a joy and an honor and privilege it is to live on this side of the cross in the tomb. He moved differently in an old covenant because of what was required to draw his people. And yet we see through time and history what did it culminate in? It culminated in his son, Jesus. So for me to come to the Lord and say, Maybe something like this. I want to see growth in miracles as proof of God's authority in our church. Or we want to see our approved leaders elected as proof of God's authority in our government. Or we want to see good people prosper and evil people, evil pe people brought to justice as proof of God's authority in the earth. That's basic. And yet God's saying, I'm giving you the sign. Here it is. My son will come, be the final sacrifice. He will be buried in three days. He will rise from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the grave. You have been given the sign. As a matter of fact, that last one, just from what I could dig around, that this unexplained um, 
presence of suffering is, the, is, is one of the most popular reasons why people don't believe in God. Because good people suffer and bad people prosper. That there can't be, that just can't make sense. And, and, and yet what we know in, in, by faith and in, in, through study of scripture and fellowship together is that we lean on Jesus even in the face of a world that doesn't make sense. It's easy to turn to Elijah to reinforce my, method, my, my own methods of judging and evaluating the world around me. It's common to see myself as an Elijah. And it's here's the tricky part. And here's the part we have to to always be seeking the Lord's voice and the Lord's will, is that we read in Romans 12, 9, that we are supposed to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Yet when my, when my focus gets off of seeing people restored into covenant relationship with God, I can take the very good things of wanting to to know the Lord more and see his name proclaimed and get very off base. Jesus was the final sacrifice. I'm not a, I'm not a, a cessationist, so I believe that there are miracles today. I believe that God is, is still alive and active uh, at work through his church, that the Holy Spirit is moving, speaking, that there are still visions and dreams and things that only God can do. Yet, the final sign was given, and Jesus told us that. It's a hard one. Yet that's what we're called to walk into. Often we want God to fix the fallen world around us, and he wants to be reunited with his kids. More than and us, because we can speak generically as the church. He wants to be re reunited with you, with individually. He saw you. He knows your name. He knows the hairs on your head. And if that's true for you, then how, how true is it for the, the men and women walking the streets of Arlington, Texas? in desperate search for an answer to a question they don't even know exists. And we have the answer and the final sign, and we have the, the, the final statement, which is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God. And I cut that short when I try to go act like an Elijah stirring up and getting in people's faces and telling people what they ought to be doing and where they're screwing it up and how that leader is just completely out of his or her mind. And if they were gone, then we would be okay. The enemy wins when we think that way. That's my cell phone. I'm sorry, Matt. I had it in my pocket right next to my belt pack. I apologize, brother. It's a rookie move. I've been in audio long enough. I know you don't do that. <laughs> but hear me say that again. The enemy wins 
when he can convince us that we are following the, God's will and serving the Lord by yelling and screaming at people in authority, in earthly authority, and forgetting the fact that God's heart is to be reunited with his kids. Is it a tough balance to walk? Yes, it is. Because I'm an American citizen and I care about the culture of our country and I care about um, the, the, the world that my kids are gonna grow up in and I care about school. I mean, like those things are valuable and those things are things that we're called to speak wisdom and life and love into. But when that becomes my primary focus and I lose the fact that this about God loving people, that I can step out on a limb and get way out on my own and then wonder, why, where did God go? Where, why do I feel disconnected from, from the fellowship of believers? Why do I feel disconnected from, from the voice of the Lord? The enemy wins when we start thinking this one way and when we only look at one piece of the story of Elijah. We're gonna go next week and we're gonna, we're gonna close out the story of this chapter of Elijah's life. And we're gonna see what that continued to look like because what happens after you call down fire from heaven. That's a tough one. And we're gonna see how Elijah works through that and processes through it. But even, I, I can, I'm telling you, well, I know because I've been reading but um, we're going to land in the same place. The good news is the good news of Jesus. Not the good news of getting our way. Let's pray. Father, we come today as your church and we submit all of this to you. We submit to your authority. We submit to your power. We say that we stand firmly on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we will walk on that foundation from here to eternity, whatever you call us to do, Lord. Forgive us for where we have been distracted from the mission. And we have ignored your people and turned to our own understanding. We step forward in humility to say we don't have the right answer, but we step forward in confidence to say you are fully capable and you do. So speak to us, Lord. This week, Every single man and woman in this room, Father, speak to us this week that our eyes would be open, that we would see with new eyes your kids as they are going throughout their day, as they are going uh, from, from point A to point B, Father, that we would see them with new eyes and we would speak with the confidence of Elijah that there is one God and he loves you and he is for you and he is longing to be in relationship with you. We lay this down at your feet, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen.